You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Well, I'm going to start by playing a little game I call Who Are They? I'm going to name two people, describe two people. And uh, if you can guess who I'm talking about, there is a massive payday for you. Okay, I got something that's really going to bless your life, okay? Big time payday. So put your ears on right now. See if you can guess who this first person is. He was born, Barack Obama? No. Let me describe them first, all right? Then you can see if you can guess it. He was born the son of a Lutheran pastor in 1875. He became an acclaimed organist and worldwide authority on Bach by the time he was 30. Later, he earned doctorates in theology and philosophy. In 1905, he enrolled in medical school so that upon receiving his degree, he would no longer have to, quote, merely talk about the religion of love, but put it into practice with his hands. In 1913, he and his wife moved to Africa to build a treatment center for under-resourced Africans where he stayed for the rest of his life. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1952 and died at 90 years of age in 1965. Who is he? Anybody know? Raise your hand. Good guess. That's another great one who who worked in Africa. Anybody else? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody from the first service want to cheat and tell them? (laughs) Dr. Albert Schweitzer. That is great. So I have something for you. You're going to be so blessed. I have a massive king-size payday for you right here. So this is for you. Can you catch it? There you go. All right. Good. Second person. Are you getting the hang of this game? All right. Second person. She was born, and don't blurt it out until I call on you, all right? She was born the youngest of three children in former Yugoslavia in 1910. She became a high school uh, geography teacher and was promoted to high school principal in 1944, but her career was ended because she contracted tuberculosis. In 1948, she started a school for young children in the slums, and she combined teaching and medical care to nurse them toward health. In 1950, she rented a house with her own money so that people who were dying in the streets of Calcutta, India, could die with dignity. She received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, and she died a household name in 1997. Who is she? You in the back with the gray sweater or the whatever you're wearing. Mother Teresa, you also, well, I don't have a payday for you, but I do have a hundred grand for you. So you take that. Now, we're having fun, but here's what's so amazing about these two individuals. Our grandchildren and probably our great-grandchildren are going to know the names of these two people far into the 21st century for the simple reason that they were so extraordinarily good. I mean, think about this for a moment. These two individuals are not going to be remembered for their wealth or for their achievements in education or because they built great industries or armies. These two individuals are going to be known because they got up every single day of their life and put their work gloves on and they decided to do good every day until their last day. And in so doing, they inspired, inspired millions of people all around the world to greater levels of goodness, to greater levels of kindness. Now, here's my question. 
Will we as a human race ever see the likes of those two individuals again? Will there be a man or woman in this century who will rise up as they did to set new levels of goodness in this dark and fallen world? Well, did you know the Bible actually teaches us that people should be aspiring to be Mother Teresa-like or Albert Schweitzer-like? That we should be doing good deeds like they do? Now, some may say, look, isn't that a bit of a stretch? Come on. Does the Bible actually say that we should aspire to be Mother Teresa-like or Dr. Albert Schweitzer-like? Isn't that a bit of a stretch? Well, the smartest, wisest guy who ever lived, Solomon, wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 12. There's nothing better for people than to do good, to do good while they live. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 16 in the New Testament. Let your light shine bright before men that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul the Apostle said this in Titus 3.8, all who trust in God should devote themselves to doing good. And he doubles down in verse 14 by saying this, do good by meeting the needs of others, then you will not be unproductive. Paul tells us, don't waste, don't squander your one and only life by missing out on all these amazing opportunities to do good. We're supposed to aspire to be like Mother Teresa and Albert Schweitzer and Jesus Christ. Now, i got a confession to make. When it comes to setting my sights on being Mother Teresa-like or Dr. Albert Schweitzer-like, sometimes when my head hits the pillow at night, I feel pretty good about myself if I just didn't act like a jerk at some point during the day. Right? Or if I stifled myself from saying something meanful or hurtful. Or maybe I fought back the urge to retaliate when someone sinned against me in traffic. Sometimes I expected to hear the divine marching band celebrating because I didn't cause any damage to the cause of Christ all throughout my day. So a couple weeks ago, I was flying home from uh, Lakeland, Florida. I was there for a, a board meeting uh, on the board of Southeastern University. And I had ministered the whole day before that about five different times. And on this Thursday, I sat in these board meetings for eight hours straight, you know, data and problems and dealing with all these things. And so we drove to the airport and I always asked my, my assistant, Lynn Lane, to get me a window seat because on those long four and a half hour flights, I like to kind of crash against you know, the wall there. And so I had my seat all set and, and it was a four and a half hour flight. So I thought I'm going to be the last one to get on. I don't want to sit there 45 minutes while people are boarding the flight. So as I'm getting on, the door is shutting right behind me. I'm the last one on. And uh, I walk all the way back to my seat. I'm like that, that last passenger. Everyone's waiting. Come on, sit down. We got to go. Well, I get to my seat and I notice in the window seat, there's a man, elderly Latino man, and he's sitting in my seat. So I look down once again, check my seat number. Sure enough, he's sitting in my seat. So I said, oh, sir, I think you're sitting in my seat. And this is what he does. He goes. <laughs> so I check my ticket again. Like, sure enough, he's sitting in my seat. I said, oh, sir, I think that's, that's my seat. He goes. <laughs> so soon the airline uh, attendant came by and she says, sir, can you please be seated? We can't push back until you're seated. I said, we have a problem. I think this gentleman's mixed up. He's, he's sitting in my seat. And she says, oh, him, I helped him get seated. It's my fault. 
And he doesn't speak any English. He's an immigrant. He's going to see his family over in Phoenix. Would you mind sitting in his seat? Now, there's two problems with that. He had the middle seat. And secondly, I arranged for that seat months ago. It was my seat. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, and everyone's watching. In my mind, I'm saying, look at you there, nodding and smiling at me like you don't understand what's going on right now. I'll give you something to frown about right now. I didn't say it. That's what I was thinking. Some of you are looking at me like, you need to be more spiritual. Well, pray for me. I'll get more spiritual, all right? But I want you to know I sucked it up. I sat in that center seat for a five-hour flight and sinned silently the whole way home. I want you to know that. But I got through it. But I'll tell you this. As I was sitting there, this thought crossed my mind. I'm a really good man. I am a really good person. Not many people would do what I just did, even though I did it under duress, you know. But here's the deal. Giving up my seat under duress is not the goal. Avoiding, avoiding meanness or, or stifling my language is not the goal. The goal is that we become people who are so filled with goodness, so filled with kindness, that we become Mother Teresa-like or Albert Schweitzer-like or, dare I say, Jesus Christ-like. That's the goal. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're saying, Luke, is that even possible? Is it even possible for ordinary people like us to attain Jesus Christ's levels of goodness? Is it really possible for us to live our lives in such a way that we make a difference in this world by enriching the lives of people around us? And in the process of doing that, we become so blessed. We become so blessed by the goodness of God ourselves. And the answer is yes, it is possible. And it's to, it's to live the way that Jesus lived. And it's the way that Jesus told all of his followers to live. And so today, in this very short, very practical message, I want to answer three big questions about the power of doing good. And this right now is a season to look around and just do good. The power of doing good and making a difference in our world. And then I want to give you the opportunity at the end to just respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally. Okay, deal? So here's the first question. It's the big why question. Why should we do good? Why should you as a follower of Jesus Christ do good? Why should we go out of our way to do good deeds? Why should we break ranks with so many other people in our world whose chief goal is good times and not good deeds? And the answer is very simple. Because it is God's destiny for you to do good. It is God's destiny for you to do good. All of us who are followers of Jesus Christ should be devoted to doing good because it's been God's destiny for us to do good before he even created this world. He had you in mind. He saw you in this place, you in this city, you and your family, and he said, I've destined you to do good right where you are today. Now, some of you need some convincing. I'm not making this up. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, what does in advance actually mean? Well, Paul tells us one chapter earlier in Ephesians 1. He says, before God created the foundations of the world, he saw you. He destined you. 
to be in this place. He knew you'd be here. He knew you'd be living in 2021. He saw you. You're not an accident. Your life has purpose. Now, for just a minute, I want to challenge your brain a little bit just to get you to grab a hold of this truth. Because as Pastor Matt said, if you will grab a hold of this truth, this is one that can change the rest of your life. Now listen, one of God's great delights is the act of being really good to his world. All throughout scripture, we are told that God is a good God. He's never bad. He's never evil. Well, you might ask, why, there's, why is there evil in the world then? Simple, free will. God gave you a free will to choose to do good or evil. And sometimes people intentionally do evil. That's the answer to all the evil in the world. But God made us to be, God, made, God is only good. And he wants to pour out dump truck loads of goodness into his world. Going back to the day of creation, God could have created people and put them in this non-blessed black and white little cage. But he didn't do that. God is so good that he wanted us to live in this magnificent world. So he created all kinds of oceans and rivers and streams and mountains and hills and plains and beaches. And when he finished, what did he say? He says, it's good. What I made is good. When he made human beings, he could have created obedient little compliant robots. But he didn't do that, did he? He gave us these magnificent bodies with awesome intellects and sensitive hearts and a will to choose to do good or evil, a will to choose to love God or to spurn God. And when he finished, he says, oh, man, it's good. I created man and woman with these amazing capacities to do good things. And then top it all off. When it came time for God to do the best thing he could ever do for us which was to solve our sin problem. He is so good that he took what was most precious to him, his only son, Jesus, and he offered him up as a sacrifice of sin on the cross so that we might be redeemed, so we could be saved, so the certificate of sin could be removed from our lives. But that's not all. He also placed in us his spirit, which means his peace lives within us, his joy lives within us, and his goodness. And his goodness lives within us. God's a good God. He's always poured out goodness. Now listen, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 is that God is still wanting to pour out goodness on this earth. That hasn't changed. God is still wanting to pour dump truck loads of goodness onto this world. But he now has a plan for how to do it. How does he do it? Well, Paul says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God still wants to touch people's lives all over Salt Lake City. How does he do it? He does it through you. You're his workmanship. You have a destiny. See, friends, this is why Mother Teresa said we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. The good that God now does in this earth, he does through you. And he does through me. That's one of the reasons why the church exists. Look, the church doesn't exist only to come together on weekends and hear great sermons and and sing songs and inspire us and high-five each other. That's important. We need that. But the church exists because we have a destiny. There are things that God made for Awake in Salt Lake City to do before you even existed. And if you don't do it, it won't get done. You have a purpose. You have a plan in this city. 
We are the hands and the feet of Jesus and the good that he wants done in this world, he does through us. Now, I just try to drive this nail home a little more here. Basically, every human being has these two lines in their lives. You have the first day. Then you have your final day. Okay? Then over here you have eternity. Okay? Almost every individual in this place began your your life by sort of just drifting, right? You're trying to figure out what exactly life is all about. And so as you grow older, you start reading a little bit. You start making a little bit of money. But you find that no amount of money can ever solve that it problem you have inside you. There's a void inside of you. And so you get a little money and you find, well, money is great. We should thank God for it and enjoy the blessings of God. Don't ever apologize for being blessed. Enjoy it, God says. Be generous with it, but enjoy it. So then you get maybe a, a new home and you get, you get some, some cars and possessions and you think that might fill the void, but that it doesn't fill the void either. It's still there. So you keep seeking and maybe it's a relationship. So you find the right guy, or the right gal and relationships are great. They can be so fulfilling, but no relationship can fill the void. And there's nothing wrong with all the things I mentioned. The only problem is those things fall short of filling the void. They can't, they can't produce it in your life. And so what happens is, you know, people keep, you know, getting mixed up in the value system of this world and trying to find out what this life is all about. And they get frustrated because nothing can fill the void. And they run one day into a Christian. And that Christian begins to talk about Jesus. And they really respect the Christian. Something's different about their life. And maybe they invite you to a church like Awakened Church and, and, and you come and all of a sudden what happens is there's just another line in your life and you start hearing about Jesus Christ and how he laid down his life as a sin sacrifice and how you hear that once, he, once you confess your sins, he comes in and the old goes and the new comes and he fills that void in your life. And so finally that comes that point and this point is called the line of Faith. So you come to the line of faith and you make a decision all of, us, all, all of a sudden to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you are transformed. Something changes in your life. And now you're filled with the peace of God and the joy of God and the promises of God and the goodness of God. And you also learn that way over here, there is a promise of heaven when you die. Right? My question to you is this. Once you cross this line of faith, why doesn't God just kill you and take you to heaven right away? Have you thought about that? I mean, honestly, that, that's the goal one day you get to heaven, right? So the moment you cross the line of faith and you get saved, the line of salvation, why doesn't he just take you on to heaven? I'll tell you why. Because Paul says we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God made for us in advance. I'm going to ask you again, why is it that once you cross the line of faith and become a Christian, why are you still sucking air? Why are you still living? There's only one reason. You're not finished doing the good works that God made in advance for you to do. You know, last year, I was doing an 800-mile hike, the Arizona Trail, 20 miles a day for 40 days. 
and we're doing it to raise money for our work down in Colorado City on the border of Arizona, Utah. Uh, we took over the, we bought the mansion of the polygamist prophet Warren Jeff, and we tra- transformed that place, and now we rescue young ladies from polygamy there, and it's a great work going on. So my daughter and I decided to do an 800-mile hike to raise funds for it. And at the 500-mile mark, a big boulder, 8,000 pounds, it just came loose from the mountain, heading for my daughter. And she has her headphones on. She's not paying attention. I push her out of the way. And it rolls over her feet and catches me in the backside and rides me down the mountain for about 20 feet. It broke my femur. It broke my hip. Snapped my forearm in half. Broke three ribs. Almost severed my finger. And... Um, it was a near, it didn't get my head, thank God. It would have been, I kept thinking, any moment now the light's going to go out. But God preserved, he saved my life. And so many times when people go through near-death experiences, they say something like this. Well, God must have something more for me to do on this earth. Please understand, friends. If you're alive and sucking air and walking around this planet, it's because God has more for you to do before he takes you to heaven today, someday. And what he has for you is not just to get wrapped up in the value system of this world. He has some good works for you to do between this line and this line. And when you do it, you step into your destiny. You fulfill what God made you to do. Here's the second question. The why question is because we're destined to do it. The second question is, where should we be doing all these good works? Now, some of you would say, well, maybe in the religious establishments I'm a part of. And that is true, but it's it's more broad than that. Most of you know the parable of the Good Samaritan. This guy's walking down a road and some thieves drag him to the ground, pistol whip him. They leave him for dead. And he's bloody on the side of the road. And Jesus is telling this story. And the listeners are thinking, this is going to get really good. Because two religious leaders come along. But they just blow him off and pass on the side of the road. Then there's another man that crosses over. And he, and he sees this beaten, bloodied man. And the Bible says he stops. He pours into him. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey and takes him to an inn. And he pays the bill. And in this story, I think it teaches us about where we should be doing all these good works. Here's the answer. You ready? Wherever you are, where good needs to be done. That's where you do it, wherever you are, where good needs to be done. So thank you, brother. You're you're on your game. We're going to turn this over. All right, give Sean a good hand. Now I'm going to dazzle you with my artwork. Are you ready? We're going to see if you can figure out what this is. Where do I go for this? No, not the coronavirus. I think someone said in the early service it was an otter or something like that. So, so what is that? The United States of America, all right? So here's where I live, right here. I live in, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, right here. So um, a couple months ago, I went from my summer break over to Los Angeles. I'm, I'm writing a book called Adventure Your Life. So I flew all the way over to Los Angeles. When I got to LAX... 
there was this moving sidewalk that went on for about, I think, about a quarter mile. And on the wall next to it was this beautiful mural of Los Angeles. When it began, it said, they had this little sign that says, you are here. Okay? That's when I was in Los Angeles. So what do you think Jesus would teach Luke Barnett to do while he's in Los Angeles? I think he'd say, when you're in Los Angeles, because you're there, wherever you are, do good works. So about a couple weeks later, we flew over here to to Las Vegas because we were meeting some pastors there who were going to drive down to Colorado City and see our dream center there and and, uh, get a burden for it to help support it. Well, what do you think Jesus would teach Luke Barnett about what he should do when he arrives in Las Vegas? And not gamble, all right? (laughs) He would say, wherever you are, do good works there. Well, then a few weeks later, I flew down to Shreveport, Louisiana. And what do you think Jesus would tell Luke Barnett to do while he's in Shreveport? Am I going too fast for you? You're catching this? I think you get the idea, right? Wherever you are... That's where you to do are to do the good works. This may seem so lame to you or so obvious, but it's really profound when you think about it. Because sometimes we believe we should be doing good works and saying nice things when we're in religious environments. When we go outside the walls, we can act the way we want to act, and we don't have to do any good deeds out there. But Jesus said, what made... What was so extraordinary about the Good Samaritan was he just did good works on the road of life. He just did good wherever he was. And so my dad and I were, I mentioned down in Lakeland, Florida, way down here. And we're going to the airport after the board meeting. And we had rented a car, so we had to fill the car with gas. And we're at this gas station. It was a pretty rough part of town. And um, I can't figure out how you get the gas cap off the thing. It's kind of a weird car. And then my credit card wouldn't work in the machine. So I'm going inside to pay for the gas. And when I walk out, I notice my dad is not sitting in the passenger seat. He's gone. Like, man, what happened to my dad? So I I pull the gas, you know, pump out. I start looking. Where is dad? I look over in the corner of the parking lot of this gas station. And my dad is over talking to this gentleman. I'll describe him to you. He was a... He was a black gentleman. He looked like he was about 65 years old, but he looked like Mr. Atlas. He was like six foot two, just like 5% body fat, you know. And this is the South, right? So he's wearing a straw hat and he's wearing, um, what did I say it was? Overalls. Those big words throw me sometimes. Overalls. With no shirt under the overalls. So you get the idea. And my, my dad, he saw this man working on his car. He's kind of all oily, and his car was broken down. So I'm watching him as I'm pumping the gas, and he's talking to the man. All of a sudden, he lays his hands on this man's shoulders. He begins to pray for him. And when he's done, the man reached out his hand to shake my dad's hand, but he pulled it back and just embraced him. And my dad embraced this young, this man, and began to, this man began to cry. And my dad, I watched him reach into his back pocket, and he pulled out a couple of bills and he handed it to the man. So dad comes over and gets back in the car like nothing happened. I get in the car. I'm like, what was going on over there? He said, son, I always feel bad when I drive by someone on the road because I'm not mechanical at all. I can't even figure out sometimes, you know, how to put air in the tires, stuff like that. I'm not mechanical at all. I always feel bad that I can't help people. 
But I walked over and saw this man in distress and I told him I'm a pastor and could I pray for him? I laid my hands and I'm beginning to pray for him. And then when I was finished, I thought, you know what? I, I can't fix his battery, but I can buy him a new battery. So I gave him a couple hundred dollars and I blessed his life. And the man was just visibly touched by this whole experience. Wherever dad was, he said, I'm going to do good. I want to tell you, friends, wherever we go, we can do the good of Jesus Christ. When you go home in a little while, do good in your home. Come on, somebody. Do good to your spouse. Do good to your kids. Young people, do good to your parents. When you go in your neighborhood, be good to your neighbors. Serve your neighbors. When you go into work on Monday, don't take a nasty pill when you go into work. Go into work and say, man, I can do good work here. I get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. I can fulfill my destiny. When you go into a restaurant, be good to the waiter and waitress. Learn their name. Talk to them like they're people. Give them a good tip. Bless their life. Serve their life. When you come to this church, don't just come and sit. Come and do good when you come here. Get involved. Serve the body of Christ. Say nice things. Encouraging things. Wherever we go, we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And if you'll do this, you'll step into your destiny. You will fulfill the good that God made you to fulfill between those two lines, okay? So we've learned the why of doing it. It's our destiny. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you were made for this moment. Number two, where do we good do good? Wherever we are, where good needs to be done. And finally, last, how do you do the good that God wants done? You ready for this? However, the Holy Spirit leads you. And some of you would say, well, that doesn't help me a whole lot. Well, it would if you were tuned in. For those who are tuned in, they would say, yeah, that helps a lot. Wherever, however the Holy Spirit leads you. One of the most wonderful things about living the Christian life is this beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit who prompts us and leads us and nudges us and whispers to us just like he did to the good Samaritan when he saw the beat up guy on the side of the road. The Holy Spirit whispered and said, there is a good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And I want you to do it right now on the road because that's where you are. So do good where you are. I want you to pick him up, bandage him, put him on your horse, take him to an inn, just be good to him. Those were the specific orders for that guy. And he did them as the Holy Spirit led him. Now, I want to just encourage all of you, if you're walking with God and if you're sensitive, all throughout your day, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you. He's going to lead you. He's going to whisper to you to do the things that he made you to do in advance before the foundations of the world. And if you'll just be dialed in, if you'll raise the antenna up and be sensitive you're going to step into your destiny. You're going to feel fulfilled. You're going to lay your head in the pillow and say, I was made for this. Nothing gets better than this. So my, my wife, Angel, she's an activist. She thinks that she can solve every problem in the whole world, and she tries to do it. She has that bent toward her. When she sees something broken, she wants to fix it. She's not a procrastinator. She jumps on it right away. So when we were first married... 
we're going to see a movie one night and have dinner with a couple of friends. And so we're walking down this, this mall area, outdoor mall area. And I'm talking to our friends and all of a sudden turn and angel is just gone. Like what happened to angel? Where'd angel go? Well, across the street was the theater. And this theater was kind of a unique theater because it had um, some special needs kids who were taking tickets as patrons would enter. And this theater had the ticket little guys, you know, dressed in suits and they had little hats like the old South theater is very cool. And, um, this little special needs high school kid was so proud of his suit and his little hat. And, um, some bullies, some high school bullies thought it'd be kind of cool to steal his hat. And they were playing keep away from him outside the theater. And he's kind of running back and forth and, and trying to get his hat from these two bullies. Well, Angel sees this and she doesn't say a word. She just, she's walking. She's like, you know, and she's on it. And I look across the street, I'm like, wait, Angel? And she's got her bony finger right in that kid's face. You give me that hat or I'm going to take you out, you know? And so, of course, they gave her the hat. I just watched her take that little hat and pat the little boy on his back and put the hat back on his head and give him a hug. I thought, man, I married the right woman. What a woman she is. That's just amazing. We need more activists in our world today. We need people who will step out and and let their voice be known. As I reflected on that story, the enormity of what actually happened in that moment blew my mind. I mean, just put it in the context of what you've learned here today. I thought 7 billion people on planet Earth right now where there's wars going on and there's famines and all kinds of crud happening in our culture. And here's our really good God who sees one of his special needs little sons. He needs help. And so he assigns one of his activistic kind of crazy daughters and taps her on the shoulder and says, I want you to step into your destiny. Understand that all along God meant for that moment for that special needs boy's hat to be returned to him. He just needed a daughter that was sensitive enough to the whisper of the Holy Spirit to step into it. And when she did, when she did, she fulfilled her destiny. What an unbelievable good God we serve to care so much about the special needs little boy that he taps on the shoulder of one of his activistic daughters and says, go right now because this is where you are this is why you're made and I'm nudging you right now by my spirit friends these hands and these feet of Jesus are powerful things they're so powerful so why do we do good it's our destiny do you believe it it's true where do we do good wherever we are where good needs to be done and how do we do good However, the Holy Spirit prompts us to do good. And friends, I promise you this. If you will do this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to feel so fulfilled because you're stepping into the destiny, the reason why God made you, that gap between the time you were born again and your last day on this earth. It's what brings joy unspeakable and it's full of glory. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. I have one more thing I want to say before I close.
Are you all still with me today? One more thing. One more little prop. And I chose this image because I hope you'll never forget this. This is a towel from the hotel I was staying in. I asked if I could have it. I want you to know I didn't steal it. They said that would be fine. One day Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And he said those famous words in John 13, 17. Now that you have seen what I've done for you, do this for each other. And if you will do this, listen, look this way. If you will live your life this way, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. In just a moment before I close and turn the service back to Pastor Matt, I'm going to ask all of you a question. And I'm going to ask you to answer this question for you and not for the person sitting next to you, okay? If you came with friends or family, just forget about them. Let them deal with this question the way they're going to deal with it, and you deal with it the way you're going to deal with it, okay? I think if Jesus were here today in the flesh on this platform, we know he's here by his spirit, amen? But if you were standing here in the flesh, I think he might stand here with a towel like this, and think he might ask you, are you ready to take up the towel? Are you ready to take up the towel-bearing lifestyle? Now, for what, what it's worth, I've never seen anyone just drift into a towel-bearing lifestyle because the drift in our culture, as we all know, is self-preoccupation and self-absorption. It, it goes the other way. People who become towel-bearers, there comes a time in their life where they make a decision and they say, that's going to be me for the rest of my life. Some of you have already made that decision and you're, you're bearing a towel, but some of you are in kind of no man's land with regard to towel bearing. And so I want to ask you this question here today on behalf of Jesus Christ. This is what I think he'd ask you today. Are you willing from this day forward as the Holy Spirit gives you power and guidance, knowing that it's your destiny and you're going to do it wherever you are where good needs to be done, and you're to do it however the Holy Spirit leads you, if you are ready to say yes to taking up the towel from this day forward, as the Holy Spirit helps you, I want you to raise your hand all across this place right now. Come on, put it up boldly right now. Say, this is, this is why God made me. It's my destiny. Thank God for every one of you. Look around this place right now. Look around this place. It's amazing. It's amazing what 500 towel bearers can do for the kingdom of God. You can put your hands down. It's decisions like these that change the course of our life. They really are. That's why I didn't take any heat off it. I want you to feel it in the moment. And if you call yourself a Christian today, I'm going to push you a little bit here. And you couldn't raise your hand a moment ago. I'm going to pray that you can't sleep tonight. I'm serious. I'm going to pray that you wrestle with this and you wrestle with this until you finally come to the conclusion that if I bear the name of Jesus Christ, then I have to bear the towel as Jesus Christ bore the towel. It's my destiny to do so. If we don't live beyond ourselves, we'll start living only for ourselves. And our world will shrink and get smaller and smaller and smaller. But if we will choose to bear the towel, one day we'll be laying on our deathbed. And we'll say, I did it. God used my life to fulfill the destiny he gave me. What a way to go.
What a way to go. And for those of you who are here today, you say, I, I just wish that could be true of my life. It can be. Maybe you just need a new heart today. A heart that beats for things like this and not a heart that beats for things of this world. So right now, if you close your eyes and bow your heads, if you say, Luke, you're talking to me right now. I, I just need a new heart. I know that I can want for that to be true in my life unless I have a heart change. I know it'll never happen. And today I want to cry out to the God who made me. I want this to be my line of faith today. I want to step over it today. I want the old to go and the new to come. I want God to give me a heart that wants to make a difference, a heart that wants to do good. If that's you, all across this place, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, only God and I will see your hand just so I know who I'm praying with and for today. If that's you, all across this place, just raise your hand right now and say, I, I want a new heart. I want to ask God to give me a new heart. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah, you can put it down once you've raised it. God sees your hand. I see your hand. Thank God for every one of you. Praise God. Thank God for this moment in your life. Now, would you say these words? I'll just lead you in a prayer. Say these words right from your heart to God. Because it's not enough to believe. We must confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ died and rose again for us. So all across this place, let's all pray together to support those who are praying it for the first time. Just say, Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. You are it. You are what I've been looking for. You will bring the joy. You will bring the meaning of life. You'll bring the peace I need. You'll bring the good I need to be a towel bearer for you. I give you my life today. I confess my sins. I believe you are the savior of the world. And I put all my confidence in you today. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.